Hi there, welcome to the latest edition of CSM SuccessCast, the podcast for CSM practitioners by CSM practitioners. Thanks once again for joining us, and thanks again to Kathleen and Drew for joining me on the the podcast today. Uh, Today's topic will be a follow-on from some conversations we've had before about how do you scale a customer success organization once you get a huge number of you know, a huge number of leads or a huge number of customers coming in the front door. Um, but we thought today we'd focus less on the kind of strategy around how you might think about that and more on the tactics of things you could immediately do because we've all um, been in situations where <clears throat> we might have just joined an organization that is already in that situation. So they have a large number of customers uh, and they don't really have an approach for dealing with them. So we thought we would try and just talk about some tactics that you might want to think about that get you going inside of weeks one, two, and three, uh, based on some experiences that we've had ourselves uh, and some things we're all, uh, some of us are experiencing personally at the moment. Um, if I kind of just frame it from from my own perspective, one of the things, one of the biggest challenges I had uh, in changing my role at Microsoft was starting to be able to think about from a business that I could see on a spreadsheet, because once you know, if your business only has a few hundred customers in it, you can kind of get your head around what all the what the individual customers are doing if you think hard enough. To one where the scale was so large that it was, it's impossible to understand it at that individual customer level. And so I had to change entirely the way I thought about a business from. Uh, thinking about it as a set of individual customers to thinking about it as a system and a and and almost as a machine that produces the output that we wanted uh, and then look at completely look at the business differently so one of the first things that <clears throat> one of the first things that I did was looked at how to chunk up all the customers that we had into individual buckets based on not necessarily on their characteristics but on where they were in the process that we wanted them to be so if we we were creating this factory that was supposed to generate usage of a service where were all our customers within the factory which ones were lying on the floor of the production line which ones were um, sitting on one part of the production line but hadn't moved for a good long while where a good long while was long than we needed them to be <clears throat> and just did that exercise very quickly with a with a large amount of our business to try and understand where some of the blockages were and where some of the uh, where some of the challenges were and at the time it was an incredibly simple model that we had of we expect our customers to be using the service within x days how many of them are doing that how many of them are showing usage but much later than that and how many of them aren't showing usage at all so that was our first attempt at that that took us uh, took us a day or so and then we gradually we've been gradually making it ever more complex ever since so that was an example of a of a first tactic um i don't know kathleen if you I like that got any I, uh, yeah I d- yes no i i like the thought of breaking down your customer base by um, where they are in the customer life cycle. Um, I think about some other inputs that um, are important if you're stepping into an organization that already has a significant customer base. Uh, but some of the other inputs that are important are things such as um, any customer surveys and, and really digging into um behaviors that drove either um, increased engagement or positive um, 
survey results, um, you know, whether they be um, types of engagement with um, various departments within the organization, like for, um, this is probably not super surprising, but um, as, as much as we could get customers engaged with at least three different teams within our organization, it was very interesting to see how their NPS score would, would, raise, uh, would rise as a result of that. Um, but there were also other good indicators um, that showed us where customers were happiest um, and where there, were, there was the biggest risk of um, attrition. And um, it's, again, probably very similar to a lot of companies, but typically that time before a customer actually goes live and then, um, as we like to call it in the industry, the trough of despair once you do go live um, is are two key points at which um, you want to stay focused on your customers at that point. So um, I think focusing on those customers that are still um, going through implementation, they have not gone live yet, is critical to focus on. Um, and for us, it was also focusing on customers that were still adopting. They had just gone live. It was their first year of adopting the um, software. And so it was critical that we um, jumped in and highlighted some early wins for them or some playbooks that they could take to expand the usage. Um, and just another key point around the, the customer lifecycle was a very simple one. Um, what customers were coming up for renewal um, and making sure that we understood um, how they felt about the software. software. Um, were they effectively using it? Um, and those characteristics and then focusing on, um, at that point, on customers that were kind of on either end of that spectrum. Um, they were exhibiting interests in expanding and then those that we needed to to save as well. So you were really picking picking people who were the the highest priority based on where where you saw them being either stuck or not having the right outcomes in the process. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, it was it was kind of a place to start. You know, I think now, um, and and it's outside of the scope of the conversation, but you know, now we're continuing to look at our scorecard and and maturing that. But you know, when when we first when I first walked in the door, we just had you know a a large number of customers, and it was all about trying to understand um, the general sentiment of those customers to help us figure out where we needed to focus. That's really, really fascinating on, on both sides of, of that conversation. What I hear is that when you walk into the scenario, there's, there's a significant number of customers and variables. And, and, and the first thing is figure out where they are on the journey. And Mike, I think you said it well, which is your, your first chunking of customers was very simple. It was, are, are they using it within a time frame or not? And, and that idea seems to make a, a lot of sense where when you have a whole lot of customers, the number of things that you could do are, are almost infinite. And going from a broad number of customers and, and ideas and things and narrowing down to just one thing and say, where are we with this chunk and this segment? And then figure out, okay, how can we add complexity? And that, that I think is an important point to this, the, the whole concept of walking into any scenario where 
there is complexity or a large number of customers and there's lots of different things that can happen where you can really only do a few things uh, well at, at a single time and identifying what that one or two things are to start with uh, seems like one of the most important things that you can do. Mike, can you maybe talk a little bit more kind of in that evolution about going from the, the simple chunking and then, you know, I know we've talked about this also, but customer profiling and under kind of mapping, uh, understanding your customer to understanding where they are in the process and, and kind of going on from there. Is that, or yeah. I'm guessing that was the next step. Sure, but I think we've been the, the, the you, you know you've been on the, enough of these to know there is no plan for these. Um, the, hmm. the, 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 one of the interesting things I'm seeing actually is that you say introduce complexity. Uh, it's a cycle. You will you start with this incredibly simple model, and then you introduce all this complexity into it, and then you have to find ways of describing the complex model in a way that people can actually understand, which means that you get way more simple. So I've literally just done that over the last couple of days. We we expanded the the thing the the thing I just talked about to something that has maybe fifteen or twenty different measures that describe where we're at in the in each of the stages of the process. <clears throat> and then I've been working on how to reduce that back into a uh, basically just showing a percentage of customers that are doing the thing we want them to be doing and customers that are not doing that. Um, because that's a much easier thing for people to understand of how many people are on the happy path compared to those that are not on the happy path, um, regardless of what stage so the, the path they're on. So, you know, it's it, it, it'll come come around like you'll add and reduce complexity over time, but to the to the point around understanding the process, being able to segment and uh, and, and thinking about how customer characteristics. If you're in, I think one of the biggest challenges of being thrown into a place where you've suddenly got you know, your thousands of different customers coming in and all of these things to manage is <clears throat> managing that balance of the temptation to try and build something that manages all of them. Uh, because customer success people are often people pleaser type people. And the thought of leaving any mm -hmm. customer behind is kind of that can provoke quite a strong emotional response. Uh, and then being realistic about what it is you can achieve with the current resources that you have and the time that you have to be able to do it because nobody can, you know, if even one of you working 24 hours a day is very unlikely to be able to manage a business of an incredibly large scale until you've set up some of the things that, that automate. So being very, uh, being very deliberate about what customers are you going to go and tactically work with because you can't, absolutely cannot afford to lose them. And then which ones are you okay to risk either either upsetting or losing because you're choosing to build an infrastructure that will mean that will stop happening and making the people that you're working with aware that that is a conscious decision that you are making because you're going to have a short-term hit on things like customer satisfaction or you know, renewal or something like that. I think that's really I think that's really important to be deliberate about what you're choosing to do because the alternative is not building any of the infrastructure that actually gets you out of the problem and then just remaining in firefighting mode forever. By trying to do too many things at once. Yeah. The it's it's interesting. The the conversations we're having overall over the past few months and, and doing these in general uh, seems to be a theme that, that's emerging that is setting expectations and 
keep things simple and focused. Absolutely. It, that is the key to success. Um, got to stay, um, you've got to stay focused. Um, if it gets too complicated, people cannot take action. Um, yeah. You know, as you think about where you are, Drew, talk a little bit about some of the challenges that you're facing and how you're trying to um, consume all of this um, information about all of these customers coming at you, but still keeping it simple and actionable. Yeah, it's a good question. So just for reference, I, I joined a, a new organization and where the the main opportunity and uh, and problem is the fact that we have uh, simply too many customers coming at us and a, a huge backlog. And so, as Mike mentioned, it's looking at how to understand customers as chunks and segments as opposed to individuals. And so, as I joined, uh, just the, the simple numbers are there's about 50,000 existing customers who, who've ordered uh, through us and ordered multiple times and about um, – 10,000 new requests for, for orders every month. And so when you start thinking about that, um, the concept of how many different types of people are we serving becomes kind of the, the first question. And, and that we're trying to do so many different things. And so the very first step was coming in and going, okay, how do we understand who are all these people that are, are engaging with our platform? And by doing that is, you know, using the tools that we had. So we don't have a, a full analytics infrastructure to be able to go do that. So the tools that we had, like you said, Catherine, for, for your example, was surveys. Those are simple. We have people's email address. Let's start sending out surveys. And that first was the easiest way to start segmenting. Okay, now we know we've got individual users and business users and this profile and that pro profile. And then the next thing was figuring out why were they motivated to engage with the platform? So if we know who they are and why they are, then we can start making segments of saying, who are the people that have the best use case for what we actually deliver? And who are the people that are trying to engage that are edge cases? So I think back to Mike, Mike's point of, you can't serve everyone and, and you have to make a deliberate decision of who are those customers that you cannot ignore or you can't afford to lose. And I think the next step is then of those people that you've identified as being the people that you can't lose and that fit your use case the best, building a model to understand how to efficiently serve them um, throughout the process. And as part of that, that means to say yes to something, you have to say no to other things. And so it's moving from a, a scenario of, I think, chaos and information and and uh, a lack of, of organization and slowly trying to bring it into scope and narrow and narrow so that each person in the organiza organization knows the one thing that we're trying to accomplish and their priorities for how to accomplish that goal. I love and that. I think... Sorry. Go ahead, Mike, sorry. Well, no, I just cut straight across your point. Let me please finish. No, that, that was that was just the point. My so so coming into this organization, we've got you know people. We're a disparate team from 
you know, engineers that we've got overseas to uh, people in different cities here in the U.S. And, and kind of my litmus test of, of trying to get to a point is to have the CEO be able to go ask anybody in the organization uh, around our priorities and say, what is the one thing we're trying to accomplish and what are your priorities to make that happen? And I want that top level thing to be the same for everybody so that we're all on the same page. And the, the second point is that that same answer of what are your priorities uh, is extraordinarily clear and they know how they're measuring that success. Um, underlying everything, I, I definitely have applied everything we've talked about with the idea of repeatable and, uh, repeatable and scalable process, which means if a metric moves for anything that's important, I'm not concerned about how that metric moves. I'm concerned about why that metric moves. And if we can't explain and understand why a metric moves around somebody's priorities, then we haven't actually made any type of impact. So that's something that I think is extraordinarily important because you're looking at the leading indicators of of making change as opposed to the lagging indicators of, you know, revenue or, or something of that nature. Yeah, I, lo I, I love the point around having, having a really good understanding of why things are happening, which comes back to Kathleen's point on um, measuring, you know, analyzing customers that are either stuck in a place or ones that are successful so that you can understand those characteristics. But I wanted to, the, the thing I was getting very excited about uh, earlier on was when you were saying about the importance of the importance of stopping doing certain things and also understanding what target, what set of customers are actually the core of your business, because that is such a, a hole I see a lot of organizations fall into. And, and you know, I've seen organizations I've been part of do the same thing of this this never-ending debate of do you build the service to focus on the people the small number of outliers who give you a lot of money or the majority of customers where your volume comes from so it's like are you a volume business or are you a specialized business Microsoft's really interesting because it's both like depending on the customer segment so so as you start, mm -hmm. you know, we have the largest organizations in the world where you offer them a very different type of experience to ones where, you know, where you've got you know, a very, very large number of, of smaller, smaller organizations. Um, and, but particularly in, uh, you know, if you think about the, the enterprise software space that we're all familiar with, in that, in that space, you, you typically see, I see a lot of organizations trying to build the, the customer success motion, this repeatable thing, based on the very deep requirements of some of the very largest customers. Whereas when you then look at, when you then analyze the customer base that they actually have, the majority of the customers that they have are actually in the small repeatable space. And so I love the, the, the principle of understanding who the core customer actually is before trying to build a process to support it, because you often see people not doing that and therefore building the process to support the wrong set of customers. You know, it's a yeah, very I'm... interesting question or um, it's just going back to your thoughts around deciding whether or not you support a high volume of customers that make up, 
you know, X number of your your revenue base versus a smaller group of customers that drive a significant amount of revenue. It's such an interesting question. Um, I think it's interesting that Microsoft focuses on both. Um, I, it's, I, I'd be, um, what I've often seen drive the decision around that is whether or not the company can support the high volume at a cost that makes sense to support the the high volume because typically they're they're going to be smaller customers um, and depending on the complexity of your product they can cost just as much as supporting your larger customers so i think it's really it's really fascinating that microsoft is able to manage both um, how how do you think you've been able to accomplish that um it's. I, I think it's that we've always been. We're always, we've always been set up as almost like two separate businesses. So we have our enterprise business that has where we're very familiar with what the expectations of those customers are, and then we have the, you know, the 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 corporate or the the, the um, like the, the smaller medium and enterprise smaller medium enterprise type business, which is very used to dealing with the idea of volume dynamics and the use of partners and being slightly more reactive rather than proactive. Because you're right, if you've got <clears throat> you can't offer the same service to a very small customer than you can to a very big customer. That's a very obvious statement. Um, but when you're down when you're down at the very very small end of the market, um, the moment you call a customer, you're cost neutral. Um, and so you're very, you you have to rely on things that are things that are automated to be able to do it. But you, you and particularly as your business gets more mature, and as you said, people get way more concerned about the cost of serving rather than just retention at all costs. So it, I think it's uh, the, the the way we, and the way we do it is we we essentially think about them as two very different things, and we staff them with different types of people who are used to different types of dynamics and that's because we have the luxury to be able to do that because of our size as a business um, and you know often you know, if you think about that if you think about startups often most people do not have that flexibility and therefore they're trying to do both things and I think the key point here is do not confuse those two things with each other decide whether you're a volume business or a depth business and do one of those things until you have enough people to be able to do both because they're different. They are very often different things. I love it. I think it's just so fascinating how we boil down these very complex problems into just very simple. I mean, at the core of it, it is a very simple solution, which is you want to, and you, you still need to focus on those two different chunks of customers and um, having it's important to have a different mindset when you're thinking about those two different types of customers. Um, I, I wanted to go back to, Drew, you were talking about the um, methodology that your company, that you're going through right now to define, um, you know, who your customer is, what is making them successful through your solution, and then aligning that with what you can deliver well and focusing on that. Um, I know we're running out of time, but very briefly, could you talk a little bit about how you look for signals where you might not be, you're straying from that path, right? You're, you're um, going towards complexity. Um, can, you, can you talk about how you come back to just focusing on that very simple um, need and um, how do you course correct? Yeah, that's, that's a great, great question. I've seen this in, in a few organizations, whether it's ones I've 
I've joined or uh, ones that I've, I've spoken with. And I think the very first thing has to be an acknowledgement that the current strategy is not working. And, and what that means is if, if you come into an organization or you're consulting or you join a company and, and you look at everything and you go, well, I, I see that, hey, we need to focus. And the rest of the organization doesn't yet think that they need to do that focus. The very first step is getting everybody on board to say, here's our goals. Here's what we're trying to accomplish. Here's why it's extremely important for the business to be able to accomplish these goals so that we can, you know, get more, more employees and serve our customers better and build more product. But the current strategy of trying to do everything for everyone is not yielding the growth that we're trying to accomplish. And that, that I think is the first thing that has to be identified and agreed upon by the, the leaders in the organization that are responsible for making that change. Because if they're not on board and you try to focus, guess what's gonna happen? they're going to go back and say, yeah, that's great that you're trying to focus, but I'm going to go back to do all the same stuff that, that I was doing before. So once you get that alignment and say, yes, okay, we need to do something different, then it's, it's taking the complexity of all the information and, and all the people and trying to identify at least just one thing that is extremely important um, to a customer and something that you are very good at delivering and using the example to connect uh, your ability to execute on that with the market demand for that thing. And even if it's at a very small scope of you individually going and serving that one customer to identify whether your hypothesis is correct, um, it's, it's starting with that one thing. And the only way to find out what that one thing is, is find out who the customer is, find out why they're motivated to use your service and map that to making sure that your service uh, provides that value and then going deep on that and, and figuring out how to serve that customer. Does that answer thank your question? Brilliant. Brilliant. Yes. All right. Um, so nice. thank you for, thank you for, I think another great, another great discussion here on where I think we've got a bit more specific on some of the tactics that you might want to think about. Should you find yourself plunged into this type of situation, um, which I think can probably best be summarized as, um, work out who your custom, which set of customers you actually want to go after, um, and put together a simple approach for the, that you think is going to make them successful through reverse engineering people that are already successful. Uh, and then go and try that, get some data, and if that works, then build your framework around it. And the most important thing there is setting expectations both with the customers and with the people who are paying your wages uh, about um, where, where you are spending that focus and why so that the expectation that you're somehow going to magically make all of these people successful within the first three minutes of you walking in the door uh, is, uh, is reset as being one that is unrealistic. Um, so if you are in this situation, uh, we wish you all the very best of luck. Um, we've we've you know, either been there or are there right now. Um, and uh, we'd love to hear your stories and thoughts about that. Uh, if you have any other suggestions for topics uh, that you'd like to hear us talk about here, uh, please do let us know. We are on Twitter at, at CSM SuccessCast. And thank you once again for listening. Thank you, most importantly, to Drew and to Kathleen for participating in, in what was a great discussion. And we will all speak to you again next time.